The New York Times, yeah. this past Sunday, there was an article about the first black punk rock group called Death in the 70s, and they found these old recordings. I was just trying to, I was trying to create an idea of how to expand rock. My name is Henry Rollins. Henry, I think I know you. Oh, I see. You're a character now. I, well, I just do whatever I feel. You are gonna make me scream like a white lady. <laughs> Woo! Shut up. All right. Welcome to Deep Tracks in the history of the rock and the roll. I am your, insert adjective here, host, Doug, insert clever middle name in quotes, McCullough. And I am excited to do just a quick overview of, of uh, I was going to say unit one, but um, that would kind of sound too schooly and that would suck all the fun out of this episode so we'll say season one instead and um this is just gonna be like um well like i said overview it's a bird's eye view of everything we looked at so far but taking all the the music examples plus some others and and stringing them along uh right next to each other back to back without all the crazy add sidetracks that i you know take um which i for me, that's that's part of the the joy of making the show is is all the tangents and little side rabbit holes and things like that. That's really kind of the purpose of the show um, in a lot of ways. But it is nice to every once in a while just be able to see everything like boom, 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 back to back and, and see how it all connects just directly without random uh, extra side stories. So uh, that's what we're going to do. I'm going to share a bunch of these clips and um, give a little bit of commentary and then uh, hopefully it'll make some sense. Um, I have invited back into the Deep Track studio with me my clone. Yo. Hello, Doug. Hey. Welcome back. You're looking as devastatingly handsome as ever. Uh, thank you. Thank you for letting me um, be back here again. Yeah, I understand that things are going well where we we stashed you in Thailand, right? Yeah, yeah. I um, uh, Over there, actually, I'm only simply known as White Cobra. Um, so okay. they don't. They don't know me as um, Beta Doug. Ah, I see that. That sounds like there's a story there. Yeah, but I I can't um, I can't get into it right now. Uh, I mean, it involves like underground centipede fighting rings and all kinds of things. It's it's a dicey situation. Uh, my my lawyer has advised me to not go into too much more detail. Okay, sounds like things are going great in Thailand. All right, so let's dive into this. You want to handle um, just the first portion? Uh, sure, yeah, I'd be happy to. So tracing the rhythm and blues side of Rock's family tree, we go back to Africa, right? And we mentioned in episode one some of the um, regions where the majority of enslaved people were brought across in the Atlantic slave trade. And we pointed out some very broad um, musical traditions. And I, I can't emphasize enough the word broad. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe we should have a, a quick discussion about just musical generalities um, uh, and yeah. how they're useful and limited. Okay, yeah, good idea. Anyone who's done or spent any time studying the ethnomusicology of just the African continent um will will immediately find just how really diverse the music is. So I, I know it's kind of a a staple thing to say, you know, the music from Africa or African music. And if you just spend five minutes just really kind of diving into um, this topic, you realize that it, it really is a massive topic. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely, I mean, there's just so often we have to 
shrink everything down to um, these very basic concepts that uh, it's tough because you feel like you're giving short shrift to just so many other things out there that are really worth exploring, but um, are just outside the like the context. outside the context of yeah, yeah. you know what we're discussing in that moment. And maybe I made this point before in episode one. I don't know. I haven't listened to it in a while, but but I again I just as we use these kind of broad brush terms and, and ideas, it's it's a way for us to to look at certain elements that were passed down and and still exist in uh, the music even today, or or at least were elements that were part of shaping the music as it was passed down from generation to generation. But um, I just I just want to make sure that we don't run the risk of overgeneralizing. Hey, um, look at this this dead horse right here. Do you think we should keep beating it or? Um... All right. So, moving on. So we have <laughs> these musical traditions <laughs> yep, that were brought yeah. across by enslaved people. Right. Things like you know we've already mentioned call and response, yep. but also of course the use of um, dual messaging within like l- lyrics yeah. that have double meaning. Um, and also there's the the vocal bowls that yeah, will yeah. develop in the field yep. hollers and the scales that that are brought over with them that would these pentatonic scales that would develop in the blues scales and um the rhythms oh right yeah maybe we should spend some time talking about rhythmic elements uh, particularly um there's a lot of uh, a lot of the indigenous music if you were to, if you were to notate it it would it would be notated in in some kind of compound meter right which is which is where there are three smaller beats to each major beat. So, so a lot of music. Uh, I mentioned four four earlier, right? So a lot of music's in and has has four beats per measure. Yeah, I mean that that's what four four stands for. <laughs> um, <laughs> is the if if you ever look at music in the beginning of it, you'll see a couple of numbers, one on stacked on top of the other. Right, right, the bottom yeah. number is saying what gets the steady beat. So yep. a four means the quarter note gets the steady beat. The top number tells us how many beats per measure. So four, four means there are four quarter note beats per measure. Yeah. Um, realizing maybe I have to explain what measures are. All right. <laughs> Musicians yeah. take music, they chunk it down into um, smaller units called measures. And then each measure will have a certain number of beats. It could be three beats. It could be two beats. It could be four beats. It could right. be six. It right. could be whatever, right? So a lot of music's in four beats. And now you can either take that and count it where each of those four beats breaks down into two smaller beats. So it'd be one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and just like that, right? Or uh, you could take each of them and break them down into three smaller beats. So it'd be one and a two and a three and a four and a one and a two and a three and a four and a like that. Now that... um, You know, some people count uh, that kind of rhythm as one lolly, two lolly, three lolly, four lolly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, those people are crazy. So let's uh, move on. Greed. That grouping of music right there, or sorry, I should say that grouping of beats right there with the the four beats, with each beat broken down to three smaller parts, that's called compound meter. Quadruple compound meter because it's four beats with each one broken down to three. And that is um, a lot of the music of many cultures. <laughs> Again, here I am generalizing, right? Um, but a lot of the music is it has that, that feel to it. And I should insert here, we're talking about this indigenous music from Africa that that we're looking at yeah, uh, or that yeah. we're discussing Thank that you. was brought over, um, you know, with the traditions brought with uh, enslaved people in the yeah. Atlantic slave trade. Right, 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 right. And, and that's, I'm, I'm making that point because that's what would feed into what would create the blues down the road. Um, 
99.9% of blues music is in 12-8. And of course, 12-8 is compound meter. 12-8 uh, is where you have four beats with each of them being grouped or, or, or subdivided, I should say, into three smaller beats. So one and a two and a three and a yeah, four and a yeah, one like and a two and what a, I basically and, did earlier. Um, should we should we talk about the the hammering in the background? Yeah, I think I think we need to make a comment just in case it's. I mean, the I have the gain hopefully low enough on the input here that it's not going to be picking it up. Yeah, but it's it's pretty loud. Um, so okay, if you guys hear hammering in the background of this of this recording, um, it's actually because. Thor is on our roof right now trying to break through. Um, he's been stalking me for a while. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So if you guys hear a bunch of pounding sounds in the background, it's actually the sounds of all my adoring fans trying to break into my home. So if you guys hear any kind of hammering in the background, uh, that's actually because we... Um, have we're we're actually making a new production of Stomp in our attic. Um, if you guys hear any pounding in the background, um, that's actually because I have Harry Styles locked in my closet. So if you hear any uh, pounding on the on our roof in the background of this recording, it's because it is literally raining men right now. Okay, so if you hear a bunch of hammering in the background, the truth this time, it's, it's because we have roofers re-roofing our house. Yes, yes, we I, do. Um, I well, couldn't think of anything clever that time. It's your house, Maybe none of these actually. were clever. No, they weren't. All right, but we should probably move on. Let's let's get back on truck. Back on truck where we where we stacked too high in in the the load. Back on track. There we go. It was it was enunciated better that time. Yes, yes, much better. What what were we talking about again? Uh, Beats and meter and music traditions. So we had we had been talking about uh, we we'd mentioned some of these these general music. Um, elements that were brought with uh brought over with these traditions um and so we had mentioned call and response we talked about uh compound meter we talked about hidden messages or dual dual messages within within the words um and exactly um we should move on um <laughs> you know if you hear any pounding in the background that's us beating another dead horse so let's listen to some examples shall yes. we and then um and let's kind of let's let's have them all back to back so we can hear these this indigenous music that then directly feeds into what will become the spirituals like Wade in the Water and uh, uh, field haulers like the Arwuli Holler and uh, work songs like 18 Hammers and Black Betty. And then we can look at how that will become the blues and those examples. We can look at um, the country style blues like Blind Lemon Jefferson and then also what would grow from that would be kind of the more vaudeville style blues like you saw with W.C. Handy and Perry Bradford and Mamie Smith. And then, of course, there's um, from the country blues or part of that country blues sound would be the Delta blues. Uh, so artists like Robert Johnson and Sun House. And of course, those would um, then evolve into Chicago blues with Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf. And then that's where you get the rhythm of blues artists like Elmore James and Bo Diddley. And we'll also listen to some examples from Ruth Brown and Ray Charles as well. All right, so this first one we're going to play, it's a Kenyan wedding song called Alamdulila Homolo. Uh, this was also obtained from SAMAP, the South African Music Archive Project. You can hear the compound meter 
right? And there's also call and response happening between a leader and other vocalists. Yeah, and then the second one, this is a ring shout performed by the Gichigula singers of Georgia. Ring shouts are traditional um, sort of religious rituals um, first practiced by enslaved people in the West Indies and then in the U.S. as well. Worshippers move in a circle, shuffling their and stomping their feet and clamping their hands. You can hear call and response in this one as well. And again, you can hear the bump, 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 right? Those elements of compound meter. And now this is a field hauler. Remember these incorporated elements of yodeling-esque features, right? This one's called the Arwuli Hauler. But it's a mixture between vocables and singing. Yeah. You can hear the blues, like, happening right there in, like, proto-blues. And, of course, now we have our work song that we listened to before, 18 Hammers, with Johnny Moore and uh, the Mississippi Convict. And just like with the field hauler, you can hear, hear those early elements of what will become the blues. Yeah, and now we have Blind Lemon Jefferson. You hear the vocals are very similar to what we heard in the field holler and the work songs, even the ring shout. And you probably, it's probably hard to tell with this recording, but this is also in compound meter, so if we were to notate this out, it'd be in 12-8. Yeah, exactly. And then um, here's a little bit of W.C. Handy. Of course, this doesn't feed in quite as directly to what will be become rock music, but it certainly influences many other music genres, including mainstream popular music and, of course, ragtime and jazz. But what's important about it is it brings the blues to a, a wider, broader audience, um, particularly white audiences. Right. And then um, that brings us to Robert Johnson, my main man. Compound meter. Right. Not not just the rhythm though, the the scale as well, the that blues scale that would develop out of the the scales of traditional African music. And then this, of course, brings us to Muddy Waters, who was directly influenced by Robert Johnson. Often cited him as an influence. And we 
We heard this song just a couple episodes ago. And Muddy Waters would electrify the blues. He wouldn't be the first to do it. I, I right, yeah. But, but he would he would bring he would kind of perfect it, you'd say. And then of course after him we have Howlin' Wolf brought even grittier, heavier sound to electric blues and would be often cited as a huge influence by later blues-based rock bands, especially the Rolling Stones who even performed with him. And now it brings us to my boy Elmore. This completely straddles electric blues and early rock. Compound meter. You also hear in that was the backbeat. Here, the snare drama beats three, um, <laughs> not three, two and four. And of course, now we're at Bo Diddley. Um, Kind of a totally different animal with that clave rhythm. But again, just this is early rock right here, you know? It's even if it's not always called it. Right. And now we have Ruth Brown, also known as Miss Rhythm. Uh, we haven't talked about her yet, um, although we will be. <laughs> I love her voice. Um, we will be talking about her more. <laughs> Such a great voice. Okay, but you hear that backbeat. Right? Yeah, yeah. So we are entering the realm of rock. Now, she's still considered rhythm and blues. But you can see where the early rockers would get their sound. Right, yeah. And now, Ray Charles. Very early Ray Charles. I think this might have been his first release. I should double check. Yeah, yeah you're right. It is 1949. Confession Blues. That walking bass line, kind of reminiscent of Boogie Woogie, very slow Boogie Woogie, that would, again, become rock and roll. It's a great track. Yeah, yeah. We Actually, we haven't even touched on Boogie Woogie or Jump Blues or Bebop or, I mean, there's just so many things that we've completely... Passed up. Well, you have. I'm the clone, so I, I can blame this on you. Stop making uh, this <laughs> so convincing that I have split personalities or, or dissociative personality disorder. I, we don't need a psychologist listening to this and, <laughs> and uh, reaching Off- out for <laughs> offering their services, therapy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's let's move on with the music. Yes. Yes. Okay. So now that we've just listened to all of those things back to back, let's play a little bit of. Chuck Berry and Little Richard, who we haven't talked about yet. We're going to be tackling them in the next few episodes. 
but let's while we have this this stream of music fresh in our minds let's listen to a little bit of their early stuff probably the most famous intro to a song right there so you can hear a lot of the same elements that i've carried over from rhythm and blues but it's it's like faster it's ray charles faster more energy with the backbeat two four one two three four. yeah exactly and then if if we were to say little richard is is ray charles but faster you could say chuck berry is Elmore James, but faster and more country. Well, yeah, Maybelline is definitely one of his more country western influenced. <laughs> and you hear him singing about cars. That's a, that's a huge staple of, of a lot of early rock, of course, singing about fast cars. But uh, I think it's just dawned on me that we haven't even explained what backbeat is. We keep talking about it, but haven't really explained what it is. Okay, yeah, good idea. We should dive into that a bit. Now, one thing that comes into the music that that is really a large part of what makes rock music sound like rock music that is not necessarily always there in these earlier styles of music is something called a backbeat, which I, I dropped that term a little bit earlier, and I've, I've mentioned in a couple episodes as well previous to this. But like I said, uh, the backbeat is, is that beat of um, where you have the snare drum on beats two and four, and the bass drum on beats one and three. Now what this does is with it framed this way is it emphasizes what are called the off beats. So traditionally um, with like European style music, or I, <laughs> again, overgeneralizing, right? But but many of the musical traditions that would be brought with the, the colonists, I should say, uh, are the traditions that emphasize beats one and three. If you look at examples of uh, like famous marches, so anything by John Philip Sousa, is going to emphasize the downbeat, right? Like one, two, one, two, one, two, right? Or if it isn't four, four, it'd be one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. As opposed to one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Right, exactly. So we can use Sousa for that as well, interestingly enough. Two, three, four, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. What? So it's it's actually what makes the Washington Post march kind of unique. Because it has these moments where it emphasizes that offbeat. Right, exactly. Um, so speaking of beats, off beats, I want to talk about clapping. Um, literally, if you Google in uh or i was about to say if you google in youtube if you do a search in youtube and you just start typing in uh the words clapping on beats and then i'll do a kind of the auto finish thing and i'll say one and three or it might say two and four but a lot of the the first videos that come up will be videos that say like friends don't let friends clap on beats one and three (laughs) or videos that say only clap on beats two and four. And and I think most people out there have been to a concert where the audience starts clapping with the musicians, which uh, my wife knows that's one of those things that kind of drives me bonkers, actually. <laughs> me too. Um, and here's why. Because 
and not only are audience members quite often offbeat, like they just can't keep a beat to save yeah. them their lives. Preach, but but also a lot of times um, what happens is people will be clapping on the on beat, like beats one and three, and that's just painful to to listen to. It's just uh, I don't know. It's just the hokiest sounding thing. In fact, a lot of times when we, if my wife and I are at a concert and the audience starts clapping and they're clapping on beats one and three, I will purposely clap on beats two and four by myself. I don't care. Somebody's got to stand up for what's right. Well, yeah, especially the the end part where where the audience like slowly begins to realize that uh, they don't want to be clapping anymore. And then it kind of fizzles out. And then there's those awkward people that are that are they're continuing to clap to the music just a little bit too long. And, and it's just, I don't know, it's just kind of cringy. I think you using the word cringy is cringy. I think your face is cringy. Anyway, for the record, whenever they do that in concerts where they start getting the audience to clap with them, it's just cheesy, in my opinion. Yeah. Whether it's on beats one and three or two and four <laughs> right. or, you know, five and seven, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's cheesy. Yep, exactly. But all right. But that, so that, that whole idea of which beat is emphasized. So usually emphasizing beats one and three is associated with music that's much more marchy, um, very like, you know, that kind of a thing where it's just um, very prim and proper. And then music that's a little more fun and a little more like you can dance to it, that kind of a thing. It's going to be on beats two and four. Again, uh, overgeneralizing. I know this, that's like the theme of this episode, I think. But yeah, I'm sure there's many of our fellow music theorists out there are shaking their heads even as we speak. I guess it's an overview. So I guess you're going to overgeneralize in an overview. But I'll buy that. Uh, anyway, so that that's a big thing, though, that's that you find in rock music is is not only is the offbeat um, emphasized, which quite often, honestly, the, the offbeats emphasized all throughout, you know, jazz and ragtime and many others. We talked about syncopation, right, where it's emphasizing the weak part of the beat right and of course you know a backbeat and syncopation aren't the same thing um but they they just have that similar element to them of of emphasizing sort of the bounce or the lift in the music um yeah yeah that you hear so again with jazz where it's just always sort of you know sneaking around the beat and bouncing around it and it just gives a lift to the music and so with backbeat it's maybe a little more um it's not like happening on each beat individually, but it's kind of the overall structure of each measure where you're emphasizing something that's kind of off the on beat or off the strong beats or what are, what are traditionally seen as the strong beats. Yeah, yeah, I, I think this is making sense, right? But um, within rock, what kind of becomes codified is this idea of bass drum on beats one and three and snare drum on beats two and four. That, that begins within the rhythm and blues tradition, the rhythm and blues music. And then, of course, that's what really carries over into uh, early rock, right? But you do see it not only from, from rhythm and blues, but it's around that time it's also kind of picked up and integrated within country music as well. Um, and in fact, this will be kind of a nice segue to go back and look at the country and western side of Rock's family tree. That's right. Now, with the uh, country and western side of the family tree, we looked at some English ballads that would come out of parts of Scotland and England. And they would be brought over with, of course, the colonists, but primarily in Appalachia, where they would evolve into country music. And then eventually, um, as the, this country music or folk music 
it's it's picked up and passed, or, you know, it's passed down from generation to generation, and eventually popularized through artists like the Carter family and Jimmy Rogers. And remember, country music is the music of um, the the eastern and uh, of the south, right? So country and western, both of them are are styles of music that are kind of below the belt for right. the United States in general. If you picture kind of like if going across. Uh, horizontally through the U.S. If there's like a a big belt, then oh, I mean, okay, <laughs> you could have worded that better than below the belt. It just it makes it sound like country and western is just a bunch of dirty fighters or something like that. No, no, no. I mean, like, like you know, just if you picture an imaginary line going through the middle of the U.S., then the southwest and the south. Okay, you're right. You know what? That was not. Forget the imagery. We're just we're talking about the southeast and the southwest. Okay, so the southeast is country music, like from Appalachia, and the southwest is western music. And on from the the southwest, of course, that's the music that would be um, the the music of the the vaqueros. Yes, thank you. And the cowboys that they'd bring with them over to Hawaii when they're helping the Hawaiian king with all his cows. Remember that story. And then there is where the the Hawaiian people would take it and develop slide guitar, slack key guitar, and then that would then get reintegrated back into Western music and brought back to the mainland, where then it become a staple part of Western music until you get to Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys and Gene Autry, and then of course um, the artists who would really incorporate elements of both country and Western together would be artists like. Roy Acuff and Hank Williams, and then of course from Hank Williams, um, from uh, when you take Hank Williams and you mix in elements of rhythm and blues, that's where you start to get artists like Bill Haley and Elvis Presley. Yep, and of course we haven't talked about either of them either, but just like we did with the rhythm and blues side, um, we're going to listen to just so all those examples that we just talked about back to back, tagged on at the end with uh, just a little bit of Bill Haley and a little bit of Elvis to, to see where all these things are leading up to. And then of course, you know, we'll be diving into to both of those artists much more um, coming up. Soon. Yeah. Yeah. Season two of this podcast is going to be kicking things off with some pretty big names. So, all right, let's go ahead and, and start listening to some samples and talking about them. Yeah. Good idea. All right. So this first one, is a English ballad called Three Ravens. It's from an album called Ballads of the Elizabethan Streets from Ale House to Whore House. <laughs> You'll notice it's in Aeolian mode. So it's got that modal harmony we talked about in episode three. And now this next one is called Red Rocking Chair by the Coon Creek Girls. And you might think, okay, these are completely different styles. But they both have this similar contour to the melody. Yeah, up and They're down. also both in that, that natural minor or alien mode. Yeah, the melody just kind of goes up and comes back down. 
So it might be different instruments accompanying it. The the vocal timbre might be different, but it has a lot of the same structures. Yep. And of course, these would then feed into what the Carter family would be singing. Um, but they would what they would bring to it is um, some of the more the functional harmonies. Right? Some of the functional harmonies we're more used to in contemporary music. Major minor chords. And of course, the Carter scratch. Yeah. Where she's so her guitar playing was a very distinct style. Yeah. And then we have Jimmy Rogers. This is Mule Skinner Blues. Good morning, Captain. Good morning, Sean. Good morning. Do you need another and Jimmy Rogers was known for incorporating elements of black music into time. his style. So he was kind of rock before there was rock yeah with that yodel combining country and um and blues yeah the yodel and then the blue notes and then here's bob wills with the san antonio rose not so much of a direct impact but this is the western influence Especially the slide guitar, which also there's a history of it within the blues as well. Now we have something in the waltz rhythm. One, two, three, one. Two. Now we're at Roy Acuff. And this is actually Roy Acuff's version of a song called... Have you guessed it? That's right, House of the Rising Sun. Oh, yeah. Now, his version was in 3 4. It had that boom, bump, bump, boom, bump, bump. Then the animals took it, sped it up, and put it into a compound meter. So rather than it being in kind of like the waltz rhythm, it's kind of more of a blues meter. Now, of course, this is jumping out of the timeline a bit, but I thought it'd be interesting to hear the animals and Roy Acuff's versions back to back. And now we're at Move It On Over by Hank Williams, which, again, many consider this kind of an early form of rock music. Now, the reason, one of the reasons I should say that this sounds kind of rock-ish, right, that rhythm, that sounds like a backbeat, and then also the harmonies, um, or I should say the harmonic structure to it, it's in 12-bar blues. Now, I know we haven't talked about 12-bar blues yet, um, but uh, we are going to be talking about that, so buckle up. This can be more music theory I'll be throwing at all of you. But then, um, but yeah, that's just part of what makes that song sound kind of like rock because it is a country song, but it's incorporating blues elements like 12-bar blues. And so that's just one of those things that makes it sound like, wow, that kind of sounds like it, it is rock, but maybe not quite rock. Right, yeah. So, but we are um, we are over the the rough 30-minute uh, time frame that I try to keep each of these episodes to. So um, hopefully that overview kind of helps people just feel the connectivity or the maybe the connective tissue between... Um, just all the different types and styles and genres and eras of music that we talked about. 
and then um, what we'll do is is I'm going to have to take a brief break, maybe a couple weeks, to um, get my episodes together for the birth of rock. I've got a ton of material for these early rock artists. Um, in fact, the biggest, the, the hardest part is just kind of trying to sh- squeeze it down to, um, it's just really hard to <laughs> to take stuff out because I just want to put all of it in there. But um, anyway, we will be, uh, w- when we come back, we will be first picking up with uh, Chuck Berry. That's right. And um, we'll look at Chuck Berry and uh, Bill Haley sort of concurrently, um, although there'll be some other artists um, on the Chess Records label uh, that will that we'll look at as well with Chuck Berry. Plus we haven't really talked a lot about Atlantic records or Amit Erdogan and some of those artists. So, um, we'll, we'll see as I'm, as I'm writing it again, I'm, I'm planning on the, all these scenes being in one episode and then I, and then there's just so much material that I end up having to split it up into more than one episode, but that's kind of the rough, rough plan, um, is Chuck Berry, Bill Haley, and then maybe a little bit of stuff about um, Atlantic yeah. Records and yep. some of uh, the artists on that label. Yes, but fear not. Uh, even though I will have to take uh, a break for two or three weeks in in terms of the, the historical narrative, I do have um, some interviews that I've, that I've done, that I've recorded, and uh, just need to be edited. And um, so there'll still be some bonus episodes that I will be able to release. Uh, and so, you know, fear not, there will still be some deep track stuff. I, I know everyone listening to this is losing sleep at the very thought of there not being another episode coming out. <laughs> Maybe I'm dreaming. Hey guys. Wait, what? Who are you? What is, why is there another clone here? You left the cloning machine on, but that's okay because I'm here just in time for us to briefly sing a um, special three-part harmony ditty that will be a temporary sign-off as we take a break um, between season one and season two. Wow, you know what? Uh, Delta, Doug, you are... What? Wait, is is Delta the next letter in the alphabet? It's alpha, beta... Gamma. Gamma? Yeah. What's the third letter? What's the third letter? Gamma. It's gamma. What's the third letter in the alphabet? (laughs) You can't say the word letter, can you? It's gamma. Yeah, I think you're right. It's gamma. Okay, well, let's um, let's do our special sign-off song. Okay, you ready? It's time, it's time to, to take, take a break, break but, but don't, don't be sad. We'll, we'll be, be back soon, and you'll, you'll be, be glad. Hey, Gamma Doug, how do you feel about Thailand? <laughs>